So hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Matab Mamuzadeh, who is Director of Diversity and in- Equity and Inclusion at Overlake School. Hi, Matab. How are you? I'm well. How are you? It's nice to be with you. Amazing. So let's start off with an introduction. I guess we can start off with the question of the day, which is how did you do it and why should I care? Um, how I do it is by um, trying to disrupt and um, imagine and create possibility and pathways. And why we should care is because our um, collective liberation and our ability to live in a peaceful world is dependent upon um, the work we do towards equity and justice in the field of education in every field. But I think any work we do to try to um, be harbingers of justice um, is the work that is essential for all humankind. That is awesome. So I guess my question is, what inspired you to join this industry in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion? I was a youth activist from the time I was 14. I was a part of a youth workshop that used the arts to talk about issues around social change. And I volunteered at the King Center for Nonviolent, uh, for Nonviolence um, through that organization from the time I was 14 to 24. I did a gap year between high school and college, uh, though I graduated as a valedictorian. I, I was top of my class. I was really interested in anything that would allow me to be of service to humanity. So it was a seed that I kind of watered throughout my youth. Um, I did start as a civil engineering major um, at Georgia Tech, but I ended up getting the most liberal arts degree I could get out of there. And that has to do with Mr. Frederick Douglass, and I can talk about it later. But essentially, the short answer of how I got into the industry was that I planted the seed of that in my life from, from the time of my youth. And uh, Frederick Douglass had a big part, big part to do with it as well. Yeah. So speaking about people you know and also the experiences in life that you've had, what would you say were the best resources that you had um, that helped you along the way in your sort of discovery of your passion for diversity, equity and inclusion? I think my best resources have, all been the, have always been the children I've worked with um, in my classroom because I started as a classroom teacher. Um, I was very much, um, I've been working in schools for the last 22 years and my best resources are my, are the students because proximity to them and their experiences and teaching them give me the data I need to understand what I need to do in this, in this work. I think another resource has been, um, one that I don't utilize enough, which is tapping into my own spirit and, and discerning how to do this work that's really, for me, heart and soul work and how to sustain it. And another resource for me has been um, in any space where I can be in community with folks um, for whom, uh, who are most impacted by injustice. And they are the holders and the, the knowers of, and those who have all the keys of the agency to help address those injustices. So I think spaces I've really learned have been with elders, have been with populations of people of color, have been around women, have been around children. Those have been my perpetual resources in the work that I do. Wow, that's so great. And um, were there any lessons that you wish you would have learned before joining the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion? I don't know if there's any lessons I could have learned that would have helped me do the work better or more effectively. Um, I think part of what I didn't know about this work when I realized is how many times, how much it breaks your heart. 
Um, I think that doing any work in the field of equity and justice in any industry, you have to be willing to um, sit and be with what is and, and work towards what we haven't even created yet. So I think one thing I didn't realize is how much it would break my heart. And another I didn't realize is how lonely I would be in doing it because there's a lot of resistance to really transformative fundamental shifts in how we exist as a society. And so I think so many systems um, that are embedded in injustice and racism and patriarchy, all those systems are, are very much held in place. So I didn't expect the degree to which the system would do whatever it could to reverberate back to its current status. Um, so I think the other thing I wish I had known was just that it's a marathon is definitely, it's a long thorny ro road with many pitfalls and setbacks. And so you have to approach the work that way. Yeah. And speaking of sort of pitfalls and setbacks in your career, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? In my career, I think my biggest failure has also been my biggest success. Um, I think in my career has, you know, ultimately my biggest failure has been around making um, permanent transformative change in an organization towards equitable outcomes. Um, but I, but I, at, like I pick at it is like, I'm constantly making steps to get better but it's also I'm constantly met with failure because as I said, the system reverberates back. And an example of that is I've done a lot of work in hiring for cultural competence and for diversity. And I've made great strides in my work um, to bring in educators of color into institutions. It's actually what I'm most proud of and the work I do the best. And it's also where I'm constantly failing. It's where I'm constantly seeing ways in which I want to um, create systems that produce different outcomes that are more just and equitable. And every time I make some progress, there'll be some things I'll be like, oh my God, like I didn't see this coming and I didn't expect it. And it pushes me to think a little bit more intentionally about my work and, and how I need to be doing it better. So mm, that's very interesting, but at least you have that sort of growth mindset and you're willing to sort of grow as you do your work and learn from those mistakes and those setbacks as well. That is awesome. So what advice would you give to somebody then in that in in a similar light about joining the diversity, equity and inclusion industry and field? My advice would be that um, one needs to have proximity to the populations of people they serve. And by populations of people they serve, I mean the most vulnerable. I think about a quote by um Audre Lorde, I believe it was Audre Lorde. No, or maybe it was Bell Hooks. Excuse me, I can't remember. But it's about the powerful idea that what's at the margins is where the power and the transformation and what collective liberation is. And so to center the people that are at the margins is really centering the whole. So one of the things that happens is that you can become very disconnected to what you're actually here to do because systems aren't designed for this work. Our organizations, none of our industries are designed for the work of justice and collective liberation. They're not designed for um, transformation. And so I think that would be the biggest advice to say is that how you, how you can make progress is to stay proximate to those that are 
that are going to be the most impacted by injustice mm-hmm. and and to be in relationship with, with people in that way, I think is the most important advice I could give. Mm, for sure. And I feel like relationships are such a big part of this field and forging those relationships early on and making sure that you keep, you know, keep up that rapport as again, is just very important. Yeah. That's awesome. And then finally about your career, what is one common myth that you would like to debunk about the field of diversity, equity and inclusion? There's so many. Um, I think one of the common myths is, is that um, that people don't understand the complexity and the nuance of the work, um, that people believe that it doesn't require um, real skills around leadership and understanding systems. I think um, the fact that it's extra, uh, the fact that we're just here for the black and brown kids, no, actually equity work is for all people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that it's not just here for those kids. Um, but it's for all kids. Like the equity work I do is invested in the thrival of all children and believing that when you create more just and equitable and inclusive schools, you're actually serving all kids. You're serving the mission and the vision of a school. I think that's another myth that people have. Um, and that just the devaluing of it is constantly devalued as the work that's paid the least um, and is often taxed with the most. So I think those are a lot of the things I wish we could debunk, but I think it's that piece that is extra and it's just for certain populations. It's just not, you know, it's for all, for all people. What we do to be, to be more inclusive and equitable in treatment of, you know, um, students who may have physical disabilities impacts and benefits the whole community. Um, it expands, you know, whatever we can do to understand the injustices and the plights and address those injustices of trans students, but, you know, is a benefit to the whole. And it also, what I say to students is that it expands our idea to understand what it means to be a human being. And why would you not want to do that? Why would you not ha- want to have a more fuller understanding? Why would you not want your vision to be world embracing rather, as the quote goes, rather than confined to your own self? Mm. Um, to me it's it's such a beautiful thing this work is not the work of you know the work of justice is messy it's difficult but people who do it ultimately do it because of love it's not because you want to just disrupt for the sake of disrupting or you want to cause trouble or you want to trying to be sensitive or indoctrinating kids it's all those myths that are out like right now in the educational sector around the indoctrination of children, the teaching of critical race theory, which I don't know what schools are teaching critical race theory, but that's not here or there. But all this fear mongering about the indoctrination of children, it's, is actually not truth. And is because the work we do is embedded in justice because we ultimately want to create systems that allow for the thrival of all human beings and there's this powerful, again, I'm like, I can't remember quotes, but one of the things I often remember is that, you know, if we don't think about the justice, even if it doesn't impact us directly, it may not just be impacting us now. And so, you know, this idea that we don't care until, unless it has to do with me and mine is a, is a short-sighted perspective because me and mine is the human family. Mm. So Again, what do you mean when you say me and mine? Me and mine to me is a human family. If I expand my idea of the world to be world embracing, then when I hear about the humanitarian suffering of people in India, those are my brothers and sisters. 
when I hear about um, what's happening in Israel, those are my brothers and sisters, or what's happening in Gaza, those are my brothers and sisters. Those are not those people over there. And so I think, again, a lot of my work I do with students is invested in first understanding our interconnectedness as a human species so that we don't tolerate injustice to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, And what makes me so sad about the rhetoric in this country is that we've created all of these these barriers and these rules and these conditions that keep us separate from one another. And ultimately it's not to our own benefit as human beings. It's not, it's going to be to our own demise. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a type of thinking that, and you know, these parents get worried about the teaching of these things, but you think, you know, because their child is going to feel guilty about the education, but you ultimately want liberation for your child. You ultimately want them to be a part of an ever advancing civilization. So why would you not want that? So I think people create a lot of fear and rhetoric based on false, false narratives and false lies that keep us separate from each other. I really believe, Layla, that if equity work is done well, if the work of justice is done well, it creates more bonds of intimacy and connection among people. Mm-hmm. And let's hope it goes that way. Um, and I'm sure you're obviously really busy with work and everything, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Oh my gosh. You know, um, I am very busy and I read a lot. 99% of the work I read has to be related to work. But what I, um, whatever I have a chance to do anything is I'll watch dance performances. So I recently watched, um, I can't remember what was an African-American company's composition at Jacob's Pillow. I'll watch videos from the Jacob's Pillow, um, which is an um, incredible organization, dance uh, organization that isn't based in Western mass. So I, I expose myself to the arts because the arts lift my spirit. So that's been the thing that I've been most recently excited about. That's awesome. And you touched upon this earlier, but could you mention three people who have been the most influential to you? Yeah. So one of them was Mr. Frederick Douglass. So when I emigrated to the United States from Iran, I was an asylum seeker. I lived through the revolution in Iran. From the time I was in the United States, which was from third through 12th grade, um, I was taught in the American public school system. And um, I was a civil engineering major at Georgia Tech. And I took a history course because I always loved history. And I was taking all these sci math courses. And it was the first time I read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. And it shook me to my core. I realized I had been lied to my entire third through 12th grade experience. Like not just lied by omission, but blatantly lied to. And it was such a transformative experience reading the story of this man who was um, enslaved from the eye perspective that I could not let go of that. And so I went to my parents and said, I want to study American history. I want to study, I want to be a history major. So I got the most liberal arts degree I could get out of an engineering school. And, and that's why I'm here where I am. I'm, and I, and I'm where I'm at doing the work I do because of him and his work and his words. So every seven years I read his work again. The second person that I think of that's, that I'm deeply inspired by is Tahara, who was a Persian poet, uh, um, but more than that, she was a disciple of a new religion in the 1800s in Persia. But she was the first woman to publicly unveil herself in Persia and was then eventually hung, uh, choked to death, and her body was thrown in a pit. Um, Tahereh for me embodies 
what is possible in the emancipation of women. She was kind of a clarion call of what has always been real, that women have always been equal to men um, and that of what is possible. And I, years later, I learned that during the time of her, when she was choked by her own, um, what would have been the scarf that she would be required to wear and her body was thrown in a pit, she was said to have said that you can kill me as soon as you like, but you cannot stop the emancipation of women. And it just so happened that while that was being done to her body in Iran, it was the same time that the Seneca Falls Conference was happening in the West. And I would find that out 30 years later in my work. And a third, one of the third most influential people in my life um, was a British gentleman by the name of Ken Blanchett. As I said, I took a year off between high school and college and did a year of volunteer work. And I worked with Ken um, in an international school doing a lot of landscape and maintenance, a lot of work that would be considered, I don't know, low-skilled labor. But Ken was my first boss, and he was such a beautiful soul. I saw Ken through Ken's modeling is where I learned to stand in the fire for others. I watched him again and again risk himself for the rights and protections and safeguarding and protecting and nurturing the rights of those who didn't have a voice in a place at the table. And he as a white male uh, would always get into the ring. And that courage inspired me to follow suit, knowing the risk that it took, knowing at sometimes the danger that was result that could result in it and still doing it. And so he recently died about, well, not recently, six, seven years ago. So he's very dear to me. Oh, that's so lovely. And then finally, at any point in your life, is there any advice that you wish you gave yourself? Um, I, I wish, so this is another story related to, to the story of, you know, um, Frederick Douglass and his escape, because, you know, he tried multiple times to escape. And the way he was finally able to escape was because, um, there was a, I guess, a person who does works at the shipyards, you know, a free black who gave his papers to, to Frederick Douglass. And he was able to get on the train and get out knowing what a risk it was, because had he be caught, he would have been sent to the, the manual, this, the fields in Mississippi, which is the most brutal and horrific forms of, of abuse to human beings. So he was facing a moment of risk and he got on the train and so I think the advice that I would give to myself is that in times in my life where the opportunity has been for me to take a risk, I wish I had just taken the train. And uh, I wish I'd had the courage to get on the train and take the risk. And that comes into times in my life where I've had opportunities, where I've told myself, I'm not good enough, or this is a little bit too scary. And what's going to be the consequence? I wish I had just gotten on the damn train. Well, now you know, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. I think now you can take those risks for sure. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It was so lovely to hear. It was so insightful to also hear more, uh, more deeply about what makes you tick and like what makes you do what you do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you making the time to talk to me. Thank you very much, Layla. Thank you. Bye. Bye.